This Faith and Finance podcast is underwritten in part by Guidestone. Guidestone envisions a world transformed by Christian investing. Through screening, corporate engagement, and impact investing, our investment strategies allow investors to be more proactive with their investment dollars to make a meaningful difference in the world while preparing for their financial future. Learn more at guidestonefunds.com faith. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-1. I am Rob West. Those are familiar words that laid the foundation for everything that comes after it in the Bible. But you probably didn't know that forms the basis for the ideal economy. I'll talk about that today with Jerry Boyer, and then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance biblical wisdom for your financial journey. Well, our friend and resident economist Jerry Boyer joins us again today, and I'm really excited about this. We're starting a six-part series of discussions with Jerry titled God's Design for Economics and Wealth Creation. And Jerry, uh, the roots of this go back to the 2008 financial crisis. It seemed like uh, the economy was crumbling, and you pulled the kids aside with an old chalkboard to kind of recenter them and maybe yourself on really God's design for economics. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So this was around 2007 and 8, right? There were some signs in 2007 about what was coming. In 2008, it was, I think, pretty obvious uh, that we were in serious trouble. And at that time, I was in a lot of conversations with the Bush White House. I talked to the Treasury Secretary, actually two, you know, they got rid of one, and then there was another one. Uh, And then I talked with the um, Chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors, and there were a whole bunch of conference calls, you know, with the uh, Council of Economic Advisors about these issues. And I found myself frustrated because I kept trying to talk to them about fundamental principles about how to handle this. And they were very set, not on fundamental principles, but on some kind of quick fix, uh, a bailout, a huge spending bill, which would then be used to recapitalize the banks or to buy the bad loans or to have investment directly in the banks. And this was all really moving in the wrong direction. And what I found is it's not that I could talk to them and they would hear the reasoning and reject it. Their way of thinking was so alien because it wasn't principle-based that they couldn't even hear us. They couldn't even process. They didn't have the shelving to think from a biblical worldview and from a principled point of view. So out of frustration one day, I just asked Susan to bring all the kids into the other room uh, and pull out the chalkboard. And um, I said, listen, we're going to talk about economics. My oldest son said, which parts? And I said, all of them. (laughs) We're going to talk about all of economics. I can't control what Ed Lazier, chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors, thinks or what President Bush thinks or what Vice President Cheney thinks. I can't, you know, get them to see it this way. But at least for the next generation, there's going to be somebody who understands this. And so what we did is we just rolled through. It was about four hours. And, you know, there was, you know, Chris was the oldest, a teenager, and there was the youngest. Jack. I think Jack was maybe five at that time. And uh, we just rolled through basic principles of economics, and we did it in such a way as if the youngest did not understand, we stopped 
and re-explained so that he was letting us know he was kind of you know, the slowest member of the group, not slow, but just youngest. Um, if he didn't get it, we were going to make sure that he got it before we moved on to the next point. Um, and it just so happens we kind of had an impulse to have our daughter, Grace, you know, put on a video camera uh, and turn it on and record that. And I happened to mention that to my friend Vince Burley from uh, Ronald Blue and Company at the time. He said, oh, I'd like to get a look at that. So we sent it to him. Uh, and then he said, you know what? I think we need to make a recording of this and send it out to every member of the firm. And I thought, well, you can't do that. I'm in a ratty T-shirt. And I think I burp a couple of times in this. I mean, this is, you know, kids are asking questions. Some people are in their pajamas. I don't know if this is going to work. And he said, no, what we're going to do is bring you down here and do a professionally recorded version. And it won't be four hours. It'll be more like 40 minutes. And that's how that video series came about. I love it. Well, we're going to get to what you shared in just a moment, Jerry. But first, I have to think that there's some listeners out there wondering, how did that go? I mean, I can't imagine getting my kids together for a four-hour economics lesson, but they were listening intently, weren't they? Well, they were. And of course, when you've got kids you know, who are under, you know, nine uh, or eight, um, you know, it was a little bit of a, you know, of an effort for them. But they were also homeschooled kids and they were sort of used to that. I mean, they, you know, we had a blackboard. So right. and they were interested. They really wanted yeah. to know. Um, and they wanted to please me. So we, had, we <laughs> ended up going through it. And I think even to this day, they internalized a lot of it. And I think understand those basic economic principles. Mm. So what did Jerry say? Well, just around the corner, you'll hear it. God's design for the ideal economy. Joining me today, President of Boyer Research and our resident economist, Jerry Boyer. Stick around. We are grateful for support from LightPoint Portfolios, which seeks out family and faith-friendly investments for 401k and 403b plans, integrating faith values and fiduciary duty. LightPoint Portfolios offers retirement plans for a variety of organizations such as businesses, nonprofits, and churches. And we're grateful for their sponsorship of the Faith and Finance Program. More information is available at lightpointportfolios.com. God has entrusted his finances to you, and we at FaithFi have designed our FaithFi app to help you live, give, owe, and grow with that perspective. Our FaithFi app is the leading biblically-based finance app. You can manage your money, get top biblical financial resources, and interact with a community of like-minded believers, where you can ask questions, get answers, and share what you're learning. Go to faithfi.com and click the word app to get started. Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance. Joining me today, my friend Jerry Boyer. He's president of Boyer Research. He's our resident economist. And today, the first part in a six-part series of discussion titled God's Design for Economics and Wealth Creation. Just before the break, Jerry shared the setting. It's 2008. The financial crisis is occurring. Jerry's a bit frustrated about the lack of response to God's design for economics and how the United States was responding to the financial crisis. So he pulls all of his kids together, seven of them, plus his wife, Susan, and they have a lesson. He gets out a chalkboard and shares God's design for economics and wealth creation. Jerry, what did you share? 
What I shared is that the most important um, fundamental aspect of economics, the truth on which all sound economics must be based, is that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Um, and that any economics that misses that foundational principle will be a miss in one way or another. That was the main point of what I taught them. Yeah, and and you shared, Jerry, that obviously God is at the center, not government, and that when we put God in his rightful place and see people as a blessing, not a curse, that's really the fundamental idea that everything flows from, right? It really is, and part of that is not just that God created the world, but specifically the way the Bible describes him as having created it. So he created plants with the seed in themselves, um, and seeds, seeding seed, the idea being that there's a natural multiplication process built into the creation. Not that he just made the world like one would make, uh, say, a building, and then it's just dead, and it doesn't move. He created a world that continues to grow after he made it. So trees lead to more trees, which leads to seed, which leads to more trees. And that means that there is the possibility of growth. Growth is built into the creation itself. It's self-renewing. That's part of God's generosity. So that's an important thing. That's why you can have economic growth. You can have economic growth because the creation itself grows. Um, so So that's very important. But you can actually get bigger economic growth even than you expect. Because the other thing that has the seed in itself is human beings. We have seed, and out of that comes people, and those people have people, and those people have people. And so those people, like God, make things better. They improve things. Um, and so they, not only do we have trees which naturally grow, but humans can come in and they can weed and they can plant in rows so that the trees yield even more. And the fact that the creation yields means that we have the possibility of growth and that therefore people aren't the problem. The creation can grow to keep up with our needs. But on top of that, we, as little images of God, can make it grow even faster. And so we are the solution to the problem. We are not the problem. And all non-Christian economics eventually ends up with some form of what's called Malthusianism, which is the idea that people are mostly mouths, not mostly minds. So behind communism and fascism and all of the terrible ideologies of the 20th century were the belief that the creation is not generously created by God, and therefore we have too many people. That's not what God says. He says, I want more people. Uh, fill, go fill the earth and subdue it. That's biblical economics. Yeah, it's really critical, and it's the right starting point. Jerry, how do you then build on that to see how economies should work in terms of a virtuous cycle of productivity and economic expansion? Well, the virtuous cycle really fits together with this idea that the creation yields. So let's say that you have an apple, you can eat the apple, or you can take the seeds from the apple and plant and get more apple trees. So you have to defer your gratification. I remember I learned when I was a gardener that Susan actually taught me this, that you have a little bud that, oh, that could be a, or you have a little flower. Ah, what are we going to do? Well, if you let that flower go, um, it's going to eventually drop seeds, or you can pinch it off, and then it'll give you a strawberry, but it'll give you one. 
not a whole bunch. And so you're always making this decision. Do I eat it all now or do I defer some gratification to get more later? And that's the investment decision. We do it in finance now, but it's the same basic idea. When you defer gratification, you get more later. And so that's the virtuous cycle where and economists talk about something called the production possibilities frontier, which sounds really technical, but it really comes down to this. You can eat it now or you can defer gratification and invest. Sacrifice now to get more later. In a healthy economy, there'll be more leaning towards underconsumption and more investment. And in the long run, that grows the whole pie. If you consume it all now and don't defer and don't reinvest, the pie stays the same size. And for thousands of years, that's what was happening. After the fall, you know, you just had a situation where you can only have three or four children. If you have five children, well, then starvation sets in. There wasn't economic growth until we re-embraced that biblical idea. Mm. And Jerry, what was it about the U.S. that allowed it to take off like a rocket ship? I mean, our soil isn't any different than soil in other parts of the world. So why did we expand and grow the way we did? Because we embraced those ideas. Now, we weren't the only ones, but there was an awakening of this biblical idea of creation, this kind of Hebrew economics. It starts in the Netherlands, uh, and then it goes to the United Kingdom, and then it comes over to the United States. And we have this wrestling match in the 1700s where is it okay to grow? Is it okay to invest? Or is that selfish or stingy? Or, you know, if you're doing that, you're investing, you're investing with all these bad people like Roman Catholics or Muslims, you know, who the Puritans didn't approve dealing with. And they wrestled all that through, and eventually they concluded that reinvesting and deferring gratification gave growth, which actually helped fund the kingdom. When we came to that that conclusion, theologically, about a generation before the founding of the United States, and that gets hard-coded into our Constitution, and that's why we were able to leapfrog civilizations that were two or 3,000 years older. You know, the, what, you know, Babylon and Persia, Iran, Iraq, we leapt over millennia of growth to become the great economic superpower of the world. Um, like you say, no better soil, arguably worse in many ways. Um, mm-hmm. no, not more natural resources, but an acknowledgement of the biblical way of using natural resources in a growth-oriented way to bring glory to God. Yeah. And Jerry, what about risk levels then in that virtuous cycle where there's productivity and expansion and reinvestment? How does risk then manifest itself? Well, whenever you have reinvestment, you have that risk element, right? Which is what if something goes wrong? I could plant a tree and it could wither. I could invest in another country and they could nationalize it. Uh, I could save and inflation could eat it away. So there's always risk when there's a deferral of gratification, which means you need to have good, firm institutions, like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, a house built on a foundation of stone versus a house built on a foundation of sand. A a house built on stone is low risk. A house built on sand is high risk. But you don't know until the rains come, and then you see which one is washed away. Up until then, they look pretty similar. And we see in recent examples what's going on with the banking crisis. We find out when the storm comes, which houses are built on stone, which houses are built on sand. So you can't really have that virtuous cycle unless you honor fundamental principles like property rights and soundness of money. Otherwise, people will not be willing to take the risk of deferring gratification. 
Yeah, that's really helpful. And I know you also make the point in the video on the ideal economy that giving is critical. It's important that we give back to the God who made us. That's a part of the virtuous cycle as well. Well, Jerry, we know that economies don't always follow God's plan and things can go horribly wrong. So in our next part of this series, we're going to invite you back to tell us what can go wrong when uh, we don't apply God's principles. Jerry, thanks for stopping by, my friend. My pleasure. Look forward to it, and I'll defer gratification till then. All right. That's Jerry Boyer, our resident economist. He's also a contributor at World News at WNG.org. Much more to come just around the corner. Stick around. As a faithful listener of this program, you know that there's life-changing financial wisdom in God's Word. And FaithFi is here to help you and millions of others learn to be good and faithful stewards. As a nonprofit organization, we rely on help from monthly FaithFi patrons, supporters of this mission, to help us continue and expand our outreach. Has God provided financial answers for you through this ministry? If so, consider becoming a monthly FaithFi patron. Visit FaithFi.com and click Give. We're grateful for support from Eventide Investments on the Faith and Finance Program. Eventide's approach to values-based investing is grounded in the belief that humankind was created in the image of God with intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. Eventide calls this investing that makes the world rejoice. More information is available at eventideinvestments.com. That's eventideinvestments.com. Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm your host, Rob West. The number to call is 800-525-7000. I'm looking forward to hearing from you as we take your calls and questions from across the country. In fact, let's head out to Chicago. Eric, thanks for calling. Go right ahead, sir. Yeah, hi. So for the last number of years, whatever raise I got, 3%, 2%, whatever it was, I increased my 401k by the same percentage. So right now I'm putting in 20% of my salary into the 401k, and that's retirement. I also have a part-time job, and that money we don't use for expenses. That only goes into our savings account. Now, my wife and I are hoping in the next three to five years to get out of the condo we're in and buy a house for retirement that we can retire in. My question is, would it be wise if I dial back some of the 401k giving I'm doing from, say, 20% down to 15 in order to put, accelerate the amount I can put away toward the down payment of a house? Or would you say, no, given I'm 10 to 15 years away from retirement, I should keep being aggressive on that front? Yeah, Does yeah, it's a great sense? question. It makes total sense, Eric. Um, how do you, uh, have you done some retirement planning to determine kind of how far, you know, ahead or behind you are with your long-term retirement savings? Um, no, I haven't really looked at okay. that, gone into right. that planning. I just kind of yep. put, try to put as much into the 401k as I can. Sure. Um, what have you built up yeah. in that account? Right now it's at about 300000 and I'm expecting to have it uh, to uh, to a half million or a little bit more by the time I retire. Okay, and what is your current salary, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, the salary is about a hundred thousand. Okay, great. Uh, and how far away are you from retirement? Ten to fifteen years. I'm fifty-five. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah. So I think the key would be, um, you know, you've got a goal of a half a million, uh, which at a 4% withdrawal rate would be 20,000 a year. So, you know, that would be a good starting point to say, okay, if we pulled 20,000 a year from retire the retirement account, um, plus social security and any other income sources you might have a pension or anything else. Is that enough to meet our expenses? And that's going to give you a good gauge uh, on, you know, whether or not you're on track. Uh, most folks live on about 70 to 80% of their pre-retirement income. Uh, so let's say you could get it down to 70%. Uh, um, and that may be difficult because you'd be taking on a mortgage here in the next few years, I assume with a 20% down payment. And therefore that mortgage is going to be around a while. But, um, you know, so let's say it's 80%. So your target is $80,000 a year. So the question would be if you pulled 20000 from your 401k uh, a year and then plus Social Security, is that going to get you there? And if not, maybe you've got to work a little bit longer. Maybe you need to try to save a little bit more. Or maybe there's another income source we're not factoring in. But I think having that goal in mind and making sure that goal is actually going to allow you to solve for the income you need each month is really key. Now, I also understand the desire to own your own home, and that's uh, you know that's a big deal. Um, and I think we're heading into an environment where uh, you know housing prices are softening. I think they will continue to soften if rates stay high, and we continue to see you know the prospect of a recession, and maybe we hit one uh, later this year. So you know I think you you really just need to think through how strong a priority is buying that house as soon as possible, um, and you know, decide uh, the trade-off there. I mean, clearly you'd be money ahead the more you can be putting into your retirement account and get the compounding effect, especially now while the market's down. But I realize, you know, a house is more than just an investment. It's where you live and you guys are probably ready for a little more space and be able to own your own home and maybe have a yard and, and that's not insignificant. So I think um, to that extent, you know, one option would be stay the course and delay the home purchase. Second option would be split the difference. And maybe we're, you know, accelerating our savings for the down payment, but we're still continuing to fund, you know, the retirement at a good clip. Or we say, you know what, we're going to really just kind of back that down and go all in on saving for the house because that's really important to us. And I think only you can answer that. But Ultimately, the planning that determines what your goal really needs to be and whether you're on track to get there is really going to be, I think, helpful information to allow you to make that final decision. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, so it's something I need to sit down with my wife and we need to kind of look at and do some of this planning and figure out kind of together. Um, yeah. So you've given us I, definitely some food for thought. Good. Yeah. And maybe you connect with an advisor who could provide a kind of a third party perspective on that, do some retirement planning, which you could pay for just by the hour. And you could find a certified kingdom advisor on our website at faithfi.com. But you could also do it yourself. And I think the exercise would be, what do we expect our budget to look like in retirement? You know, we're no longer saving for retirement. So that all that money that was going into retirement savings is coming off the table. And we're not probably driving as much. And we don't have, you know, maybe to keep the wardrobe up that we 
do for work. And I mean, there's a whole host of things that come out of the picture. And then, you know, we get that budget and then we say, okay, how are we going to get to this monthly need that we have? And I think that 4% withdrawal rate from your 401k would be a great, you know, rule of thumb, uh, plus social security. And you can go to the SSA.gov website to get current estimates on what your social security will be. And then anything else that gets added in there. And that'd be a great start to helping you determine what you ultimately need to set as your target. And then just balance that, your, um, you know, the trajectory of your current savings and whether it'll get you to your retirement goal in time, balance that with your desire to own your own home, which I know is real and that's not insignificant. And then kind of figure out how you uh, work the numbers from there. So hopefully that's helpful to you, Eric. We appreciate you checking in with us today, sir. God bless you. Uh, Lucy in West Palm Beach, thanks for your call. Go right ahead. I just, uh, you have an awesome program, by the way. I just wanted to ask, last year when the interest rate was very high for the I-bonds, I purchased one and I'm ready to cash it out. Do they pay it out at the interest rate that I purchased it or the the um, today's rate? Yeah, uh, the answer is both. So here's the way that works. First of all, you can't redeem it for at least a year. So as long as you wait until one year or more after your original purchase, then you could redeem it. You're going to have a small penalty when you do of three months worth of, of interest. Uh, but the way it works is uh, the interest rate is credited at the end of every six months. So even though they don't send you a check, it's credited to your treasurydirect.gov account. So at the end of the six-month period where you were earning 9.62%, they credited six months of interest at 9.62%. And then at the end of the second six months where you were earning 6.8%, they're going to credit uh, the equivalent of six months at 68 so if you were to leave it in there every six months, you would get a credit for the value of the bonds you have, plus, uh, you know, the interest that you're due based on the, the rate that uh, was in play for that six month period of time. Does that make sense? Yes, very much so. Thank you so very okay. much. That was awesome. Thank you again. Okay. All right, Lucy, thanks for your call. Hey, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to let you know that you don't ever have to miss a program. Just download our FaithFi app for your mobile device and take us with you anywhere. Thanks for joining us today. I look forward to talking with you again next time on Faith and Finance. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you.